Hello and welcome to the School for CEOs Leadership Insights Podcast. My name is Gemma Soul, and today's episode was recorded in the Weir Group's head office in Glasgow with Chief People Officer Rosemary McGuinness. So, Rosemary, welcome to the School for CEOs podcast. Thank you very much for sharing your time with me today. Thanks, Gemma. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Um, Rosemary, you've been involved with School for CEOs pretty much since day one, actually, as you're one of the first individuals to sign up to our faculty as well. You're on our advisory board. Where did that relationship come from? I first met David when he did some coaching work with the senior leaders at William Grant & Sons. Uh, I was really impressed then by the insights that he brought to the team and the way he helped us become a more high-performing team. So when he mentioned that he was setting up a business that was to prepare people to become the chief execs of the future, I thought it was an inspired idea and there was a real gap in the executive education market. So it seemed like a great idea and something I was really happy to be a part of. You mentioned William Grant and Sons there. You were um, the HR director there for 12 years. Um, You were also, you've held a number of uh, HR leadership roles across Europe, Asia and America. Um, You started off at Williams Lee in London, where you were HR director there for five years. That's a marketing production company. You were then um, the senior vice president of HR at Bind Business Solutions, which is a document management company, if Mm -hmm. I'm correct. That was uh, in New York. Um, for four years, then you moved to William Grant & Sons um, into that Group HRD role for 12 years before joining Weir Group in 2017, where you've been and where you are today. Um, so you started your hospitality, your career actually back in hospitality. So what was it that drew you to HR? So I, I started as a line manager with Trust House 40 and absolutely loved leading people Hospitality is a great industry to cut your teeth on. It gives a lot of responsibility to young people and it's very labour intensive. So really enjoyed my time as a line manager and then had the opportunity to move on to a project that involved installing computerised front office systems. And as part of a project manager at as part of a project management role, I led a team of trainers and I got really interested in training and development. And that took me to an opportunity in personnel and training, as it was then. And it just seemed like a great fit once I got there and decided then I would pursue a career in HR. And what would you say you love most about your job now and the role that you have? I think helping people achieve their potential. Really seeing the potential in people, first of all, and supporting them and getting opportunities for career advancement or development opportunities. When I left William Grant & Sons, it was really interesting to think about the legacy you leave in a business. And it's often not what you think it is. Many people, when I was leaving there, commented on the conversations I'd had with them that had maybe got them to the next stage in their career. Nobody really thanked me for the talent development system or anything more sophisticated. But it, it was about really questioning people and helping them think about their potential and maybe having the courage to take a step forward and I just really love that it's hugely rewarding I also like being involved in business transformation so a business that's going through some sort of transformation be that transformation within the HR function or within the business as a whole I really like thinking about seeing the change in the system understanding the culture that supports the transformation and The fact that it never really takes you where you expect it to take you, so you have to be fairly agile and work with what emerges, but seeing a business move from A to B and being a part of that is really exciting for me. 
we talk a lot on our programs about um, helping people take control of their career and taking opportunities to get the right experiences to, to get to where they want to be. So how purposeful have you been in the way that you've managed your career and your career development? Well, I'd love to say there was a great master plan. I'm not sure there was, but certainly I agree with you, Gemma. It's about seeing and seizing opportunities. So, as I mentioned, I started off in line management with Trust House 40, saw this opportunity to do a project management role, which took me to HR. Um, I did 11 years at Trust House 40 and then recognised that I needed to move companies and probably industries. Williamsley was a great opportunity. I was really inspired by the chief exec's vision. So I made the move there and it was my first head of HR role. It was also, it continued to be an international role. And that's one thing throughout my career. I've loved international work. Um, and with Williams Lee, that was about establishing myself as the HR leader, becoming part of an executive committee for the first time. Um, we were also going through an IPO process. So being in a business that was preparing itself for sale was really interesting. I then, with them, had the opportunity to go and work in the States with their GV partner. That, that was a fairly terrifying move at the time because the partner had some real business challenges. But I knew I had the trust and confidence of the executive team at Williams Lee. And I took that opportunity primarily to live in New York. That wasn't such an onerous decision. And also to really get to understand the U.S., so I spent quick, um, the next four and a half years of my career in the US, travelling a lot, working really hard, but really understanding a new business and a new culture. I then decided that I'd probably spent enough time away from home and thought about moving back to the UK and was lucky enough to hear about the job at William Grant & Sons. So it was a smaller job in some ways. William Grant & Sons only has 2000, had 2,000 employees at that time, but it was a move back to Scotland, wanted to be near family at the time. But it was also into a new sector, FMCG. Didn't know much about distilling, knew even less about FMCG. So that was going to be a great learning opportunity again. And being back in Glasgow was, was a real bonus. And I spent 12 years there mainly because I continued to learn and grow. There was never a lack of opportunity. Uh, and I also think that it's um, sometimes you have to see through the changes and, and live with the consequences of some of the changes that you make. But I'd certainly got to a point where it was less stimulating for me when the weird opportunity came up. And again, a much bigger business, 15,000 employees worldwide in different markets, actually, to the markets I'd operated in with William Grant & Sons, but also a completely different sector. So that's really great for learning. It's very stimulating. But again, I think the main draw was the chief exec. So when I interviewed with John Stanton, he talked about creating a place where people could do the best work of their lives. I just thought that was a hugely compelling vision and something I really wanted to be a part of. So um, that was the main draw to, to, the, to the Weird Group sort of 18 months ago now. Hmm. How, you've talked a little bit about knowing when it's time to move on and, and there's a bit of almost... You know, great timing and, and an opportunity arose when you were starting to think about what's next and what's going to help you grow and develop um, what would you say has been one of your well, your biggest career highlight I suppose and mo thing that you're most proud of so far oh now that's a tough one I think and it, sorry this wasn't in the script so I put you thrown <laughs> in a side, side ball there yeah I, I think it goes back to my earlier point about talent development you know, when you see people, particularly when they're holding senior positions in the business, 
and you do get to see that when you've been in a business for a while it's just hugely rewarding knowing that you played some small part in that either helping them navigate the career ladder within the organization or helping them think about their development and with a couple of people it was just giving them more belief in themselves reassuring them that you genuinely thought they were up for the challenge and helping them see that so I'd say that the the occasions where I've really played a part in that are probably the moments I'm most proud Thank you I'd like to ask you about leadership Um, so what experiences in your career or in your life would you say have shaped who you are as a leader? Career-wise, it has to be starting as a line manager in Trust House 40, actually. Mm -hmm. Going back to those days where I I worked on in all sorts of departments, doing all sorts of jobs and learning about how to engage and and motivate a team of people. You know, when when you're in charge of housekeeping and you're short of room attendance, you're going to be servicing rooms, you know, so you need to think about how you get the work done in a smart way. So I learned a lot there, and as much by my mistakes, I'm sure, as my successes. And also just watching other great leaders. I think that um, if you have the opportunity to really see some great leadership in action, there can be so much learning in that. Um, And life, of course, learning through... a, A couple of years ago, I was the chair of Young Enterprise Scotland and working on a board with very different people thinking about how you get the best out of a volunteer board teaches Mm -hmm. you a lot about leadership as well. So I think there are just so many opportunities to learn about leadership, but you have to be open to them, and and it's noticing them and having the presence of mind to recognise when you're in the presence of great leadership and also in the presence of poor leadership and what you can learn from that. Mm. You almost insinuated diversity and how that's influenced you as a leader there. And... How do you get that balance, if you're looking at diversity in, in your leadership and inclusive leadership, of having a team that is diverse and that brings different perspectives, but also a team that can work together effectively? How do you coordinate that? Because it can end up being a bit of a rabble if you've got too much diversity and you can't ag- ever agree on anything. Yes, it, for sure. And I suppose, first of all, you just ha- actually have to hire different people. I don't think you can get diversity of thought without people coming from different backgrounds. So I'm, and my career, I think, demonstrates that you actually don't need to have that much industry knowledge Mm -hmm. if you've got good leadership skills and a good understanding of your specialist function, for example, HR. So I think bringing people from different backgrounds, social backgrounds, different industries, different perspectives is really important. I learned, and William Grant's, for example, one of the most senior HR people, Gary Brewer, we were actually born on the same day and you could not find two people more different. Gary was a very quiet, thoughtful leader, very insightful, but I had to really make sure I, I left the space to hear Gary's opinion in team meetings, So, for example. So, so you have to be very conscious that when you bring people from different backgrounds together, you also have to create an inclusive environment. And that's about creating space for difference and creating space for those people, even when you're really busy and even when you're um, so convinced that you're on the right path. If you don't stop and listen to those people that are different from you, you really miss a richness of discussion, a richness of insight and the opportunity to really challenge your thinking. So I do think we need to create the space 
to be more inclusive. I'm not suggesting it's easy all the time, but I think it's it's a worthwhile effort mm. for sure. So something around having that discipline to allow the space. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, you mentioned Gary there. Who kind of leads me on to my next question around um, others and who has influenced how you are as a leader or who you are as a leader? No one person, actually, but probably the sum of many. Okay. It's certainly somebody with a compelling vision. I mentioned two roles, Williams Lee and uh, Weir, where the chief exec just had a way to articulate a vision that made it really exciting. So I think le- leaders need great vision and they need to be able to communicate it in a way that's meaningful and compelling to others. I think leaders who really care about individuals and think about their personal impact they understand the power that the the positional power they have and the impact they can have on other people positive and negative for that actually and care about the individuals when I look at the work that John Stanton's done here at Weir in relation to health and safety we've really improved our health and safety culture it wasn't bad I think this is an example of moving from good to great but what I see he did was he really personalised health and safety. He talked about the people being injured, not the numbers of injuries. He asked for the name of the person. He followed up with, how are they doing? How are their family coping? And it just made it real for everyone. So leaders that can personalise what we're doing, I think, have great power in their communications. Um, I mentioned Gary, people that are different from me. I find them curious sometimes, but definitely a great place to learn and a great place to get a different perspective. You know, and those that have the courage to challenge convention, I often think that leaders need to have courage. And I think our teams also look for us often to have the courage to speak the unspeakable, particularly when you're dealing with culture change and uh, areas like diversity and safety. You know, we have to be serious about these things and we have to walk the talk. So leaders that really do that. And I think You know when people love what they do as well? There's a great energy around someone who loves what they do every day. That doesn't mean they aren't tired sometimes, and that doesn't mean they don't have bad days. But when they have a lot of great days, it's it's really, really engaging to work for someone like that. So I've I've had the real privilege to work with leaders across all those things, and I think um, it certainly makes my job a lot easier when I work with someone like that. I'd like to ask you about... Your life. So you talked earlier about um, the way your career has shaped, and you took um, a decision to come to come home back to Scotland and take the role, the opportunity with William Grants, because actually there was a personal decision there to to move back to Scotland. And there are other things um, which influence our, our working life, which haven't been so much within your control. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, which I'd like to ask you about. So you were diagnosed with cancer. When was it? Was it 2000? So it was 2015. Okay. Um, what happened? So basically, I was studying my master's in organisational change at the time, and I was on a retreat with a group of students knocking out our dissertations, and I noticed a lump under my arm. But I was, um, I'm, I'm an eternal optimist as a start, for a start, and always saw myself as a really fit, healthy person. So I thought, oh, this is some sort of benign cyst. Went to the doctor quickly anyway, but really wasn't expecting it to be anything. Mm. Um, The doctor referred me to a specialist, um, and about 15 minutes into the appointment, after he'd prodded and poked a bit, uh, he very gently said to me, I'm 99% sure you've got breast cancer. 
And my response was, well, I wasn't expecting that. And I really was not, I was so not prepared for that. So to the point that I hadn't really mentioned it to many people because I thought it was just a routine appointment. So the next few weeks were really challenging. Uh, First of all, you're blown away by this news and it fundamentally impacts the way you think of yourself. No longer a healthy person, but a cancer patient. But you also go through this bank of tests where they're checking that the cancer hasn't spread. So you go from, oh my goodness, I'm one of the 60,000 people every year diagnosed with breast cancer to, oh my goodness, I hope it's only breast cancer. I hope it's not metastasized. I hope it's not anywhere else, which is a strange psychology, but that's kind of the pendulum swings. And there's almost a relief when you think, no, this is contained and it's very treatable. And... uh, The hardest part, of course, is seeing the impact it has on the people around you. The family, of course, friends, work colleagues, telling people and seeing their reaction, the shock on their faces and their concern is really, really hard, actually, because all you want to do is reassure them that you've got this when you don't actually know if you have. Mm. So it's a very sobering time, for sure, and it certainly makes you question a lot about your identity. Well, for me, anyway, it did. Um, But I was one of the lucky ones, so the cancer hadn't spread and the research that had been done meant that my experience of treatment was much more positive than it would have been even two or three years ago. And it's one of the reasons why I'm on the Business Beats Cancer Board and one of the reasons I'm a true believer in cancer research and the impact that can have on our experience of of such a horrible thing. Um, So I had a... (laughs) I'm I'm pretty impatient, so I, I thought, well this must be done in six months and they said to me well this will take about a year and I thought well that's crazy that can't possibly be the case but through 10 months I had chemo I had surgery and finished with a a, a course of radiotherapy and but because of the improved drugs the chemo was bearable because of it being caught relatively quickly the prognosis was positive and um I decided that I actually wanted to continue to work if I could. I also decided that I wanted to continue to finish my dissertation. And we also we always joked about my distraction was the big D, not the big C, <laughs> because it was a way of coping for me and it was something to get up and do every day. Um, I also had great advice like, if you feel tired but you think you can go for a walk, go for a walk for 10 minutes. You know, think, and thinking about treatment in a, in a much more holistic way. And also looking after yourself. So Stella David, um, the chief executive William Grants at the time, had I was really lucky that she had a friend who was just recovering from breast cancer and was very similar to me. So she had a positive um, course of treatment. And not everyone's like that. And you know, it's really important that I say that I would never want to set an expectation that anyone can work through this treatment. But for me, I could. I was lucky that I could. And I... It really helped me, actually. So Stella allowed me to go back to work on the basis that I wouldn't overdo it. I wouldn't travel, you know, particularly when your immune system's low. And I would really be conscious of how I felt and under no pressure to come to work. So that was the agreement I had with her. And my team was amazing. So they stepped up. They really um, 
developed hugely themselves through that period and I never felt like I should step back or resign because of course I considered those things can you know we had a lot on our plate and I thought am I going to get in the way of that being delivered so everyone reassured me that that wasn't the case and actually you know I'd worked with them a long time I really trusted their judgment and thought well why not why can't we make this work and so with the support love and support of all those people I managed to finish my dissertation, finish my master's and continue to work. Um, and so it you know, it was, in a very strange way, a positive experience in many ways. And I, I certainly did learn a lot. Um, I learned, certainly in terms of impacting your identity. You know, I'd always thought myself as a fit, healthy person and suddenly I wasn't. And that's that really makes you stop and think, think about everything you think about yourself so it was not something I would wish on anyone but I'm you know it's a relief to know that treatment is so much better nowadays and that people can get on with their lives and and learn a lot in the process actually. Mm. Tell me more about optimism because you talk you know I've known you for some time Rosemary and I know you're an incredibly optimistic person but tell me more about that. So I think um, well I suppose it was the the optimism to think that I wasn't going to be ill, but but not, I didn't take too long. You know, I, I knew I needed to get this seen to. So, but, and I do think a positive mindset really makes it, I mean, it's been something, I th- I, I'm a resilient person, I know that. And I do have a belief that um, there will be a positive outcome. So, but, but it was challenging. So things like when they said to me, um, you know, this will take a year. I thought, that's crazy. And I really had to learn patience. Mm. And the consultant was was great because they would only tell me a bit at a time, which was immensely frustrating. But they were one step at a time. You know, right, let's deal with chemo. Let's see how you got on with that. Let's see if it works, you know. Um, And this period of time will be this many weeks. And then we'll take the next step. And I I don't think I've ever been known for being a very patient person. Mm. So that was hard, but it was great learning, you know, because you don't know what's going to happen at the end of that. And the next step is dependent on that step. So let's just focus on getting through this step. And so, and then as I got close to the next step, they started to talk to me about it. So they managed my care really well. And and it also, they, they have to list all the horrible side effects of things. Mm-hmm. And of course, you're not going to suffer from all those side effects, but managing yourself through that. I know some people that expected to get all the side effects and maybe as a result were aware of more of them. I actually was thinking, well, you don't get all of these, so let's assume I'm not going to get them, but prepare for the worst mm-hmm. and have the right medication, have a you know a thermometer in my medicine cabinet or whatever it was. Um But I also think that being optimistic about what the team could do helped me have the confidence to let them, let them do what they could do and trust them. You know, there were some times where I was thinking, I'm not really feeling that great, but I could go into work and I didn't have to because there was no pressure to do that. So so that even though I had to convince myself that it wasn't defeatist sometimes 
I, I think it was the, I managed to find what I considered was a healthy balance. I was never, I never had any setbacks. I managed the course of treatment in the way it was planned. So I was really lucky. And I know it's more luck than anything else in some of these circumstances, but um, I, I managed to find a balance there, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, I did have to temper my optimism to be a bit more of a realis- realist at times, um, but I think that positive mindset, probably in the round, was was a good thing. Mm. And what I'm also listening or hearing is a great deal of trust in your team to to step up and that they would be okay. Yes. Yeah. And, and actually flourish almost. That's right. Yeah. And my colleagues, you know, the colleagues on the executive team and Stella went out their ways. We had more meetings in Glasgow. It was easy for me to dial into meetings when they were overseas. You know, they were very accommodating, but never, never made me feel like they were accommodating me. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's kind of a bizarre form of inclusion in some ways, mm-hmm. thinking about how can we incorporate this different rosemary for a while and I suppose I was different by the end of it anyway but how can we adapt our way of working to make sure that she's still included when I could be and of course there were times that I just wasn't able to be at the meetings but Mm. that was really uh, just really heartfelt and pleasing for them to do I felt really cared for it was lovely Mm. Mm. and and you say you've learned so much so how how has it changed you uh, as a person or what have you learned from that experience well I suppose the first thing is that cancer nowadays usually isn't a death sentence and so uh, dealing with that in the workplace now I feel much more comfortable Mm. Um, Maggie's is a great charity I don't know if you know of it but Maggie's do a lot of uh, coaching around how you can bring um, cancer into the workplace and help people cope better so I learned a lot about how people can with cancer can and cannot operate as well. As I said earlier, I totally recognise that sometimes people just should not be at work and can't be at work, and that's okay as well. Um, that people will step up for you, without doubt. That it's fantastic to know that there are so many people around you that in those circumstances step in, you know, and, and are just there for you and make it easy for you to ask for help. So that was that was liberating and reassuring in so many ways. Um, I strive now to be more patient and I know some people listening to this will absolutely be laughing um, and practice a bit more self-care you know thinking about what particularly when you travel as much as I do for work what do you do when you come back from a long-haul trip how do you look after yourself how do you recharge don't expect as much maybe of myself as I did before you know and that includes thinking about what you eat what you drink and what exercise you take um, but also I'm really resilient. You know, I've realised that about myself. And so I thought I was before, but I think that's given me more confidence. I know I can cope with quite a lot. That doesn't mean I should push the boundaries. Stress certainly isn't good for anyone. But, um, yeah, and of course we're all indispensable. So it was amazing how much the team accomplished in my 10 months. (laughs) Um, That probably says a lot as well. But, you know, it was really important for me when I came back that I left them with the space that had been created Mm. I came back and and some people thought well she's back now so now I'll come and ask you for your opinion or I'll ask you to sign off something and I made a pact with my team that we wouldn't do that that they had learned a lot and they were now able to make those decisions themselves and of course I had a role to play but actually we'd all grown a bit through that period and it was a positive step forward and we shouldn't revert to some of the maybe the old roles that we've been playing so that was good learning as well mm. 
So you're now at WEA Group, um, and in addition to your executive role, you have a number of um, what we're going to call extracurricular activities. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you're the chair of Business Beats, Biz Beats Cancer yes. Edinburgh, so you've mentioned that already. Um, you're an advisory board member to the University of Strathclyde Business School, which you've been doing for some years now as well. Um, as I've m- mentioned already, you're involved with the School for CEOs as a member of our faculty. You've also recently become a board member of the Ms. Miss and Mrs. Social Enterprise based in Mary Hill. Um, and you're a mentor to young, eager professionals, me being one of them. <laughs> um, how, Rosemary, how do you find the time and the energy to do this? You've just talked about self-care and you know managing yourself better. <laughs> you know That's quite a long list. It is quite a long list, actually, now that I'm looking at it, Gemma. You know, I get a real buzz out of contributing to something bigger and more than just the organisation that I work for. So it's easy for me to find the time. You have to manage it sometimes. And and I've certainly been on some boards in the past that have been pretty onerous. And so you have to think about what what the ask is when you get involved in in these things. But I I really enjoy the diversity of all of those things. be that like the stimulation and insight I get with the school for CEOs. I got involved with uh, the uh, Strathclyde Business School because of the William Grant MBA that we were running, and we also have a Weir MBA with the business school. So it helps me shape the thinking of the business school, which is important for those programmes. Um, working in social enterprise is so rewarding, and not only does Ms. Miss Missies have a really inspiring chief exec in Sylvia Douglas it's also making a huge impact in in the community real great outcomes that make a difference to the women and girls that they're empowering so it just is so energizing I was leaving last week on Friday to go to San Francisco for our conference and the the board meeting of Ms. Miss Missy's was on the Thursday night and I was thinking oh my goodness I've got so much to do and I want to give this proper attention and energy but I'm, my head is full of packing for San Francisco, getting ready for the conference, doing the things on my to-do list that still weren't done and trying to pop over and see my sister before I went away anyway I made the decision that I had to go to the board meeting because I really wanted to go there and support the, the, the board and it was the two and a half most energising hours of the day and I left that meeting feeling absolutely proud of, the, of what they're achieving and what they're about to do but just really energized so went over to my sister's had a great meal with her came home packed and just felt full up of the energy and the impact that that business is making so it inspires me and energizes me rather than drains me but as I say when you think about taking on those extra responsibilities I think you have to do them well and you need to make sure you don't overextend yourself and so that you can be present and attend the meetings and play your role as, a, as an active board member. So you do have to balance those things. And the reason I've taken this on is actually um, we're rotating the chair of Business Beats Cancer. So I've stepped out of the chair role and I've just done that. And, and my colleague Myra um, Fulton from Skyscanner is stepping into the chair role. So that gave me slightly re- less responsibility there. I'm still an active member, but it's not quite the same as being the chair. So, but I think these things have to energise you. They have to give you personal growth. And as I say, just mixing with new people with different perspectives just makes me, I think, a better leader, actually. So it's, it's great fun. I love it. 
Rosemary, you talk with incredible energy and passion about everything that you do. Um, so this last question might be difficult. Um, <laughs> but what, what do you think has been the most enjoyable part of your career so far? I think that travel, uh, new countries, new adventures, new cultures has been one of the themes throughout. When I started in the hotel business, it, you know, Trust Sporty was a massive hotel company at that time. And I, it was my first taste of travelling to different countries and experiencing different cultures. And so more than anything, that's kind of the thing that just tops up the joy when you get to go to a new country, experience the culture, learn about the people, um, learn about what they eat, what they do with their spare time, and seeing the impact quite often that the businesses I'm working with, the impact they have in those communities. Because quite often we can be a really big employer. I was recently in Santiago in Chile, and... um, the people there are so proud to work for WEIR. But in a small town, we're a really key employer and we give a lot back to that community. So um, that's really inspiring. And uh, it's kind of like the icing on the cake, I think, in everything else I do. Rosemary, thank you so much for your time. You're welcome, Gemma. It was a pleasure. Thank you. You've been listening to the School for CEOs Leadership Insights Podcast with me, Gemma Soule, and today's guest, Rosemary McGuinness, Chief People Officer at the WEIR Group. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. One thing that really stood out for me was Rosemary's love for people and her desire to see others succeed. Also, her ability to see a positive in any situation and her personal resilience is hugely inspiring. If you're interested in learning more about the organisations that Rosemary is involved in, links to their websites can be found on our blog, which you can find on www.schoolforceos.com forward slash blog. You can follow our monthly podcast through host platform Spreaker or on iTunes or Spotify. Just search for School for CEOs Leadership Insights. Thanks for listening and see you soon. Mm -hmm.